0: Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast, formerly Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to health and wellbeing, featuring interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute Food Facts series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer turned nutritionist. I have a deep curiosity about living a healthy, active and fulfilling life, which I would call a vibrant life and sharing with you what I learn on this podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I will mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure, or prevent injuries or medical conditions, and is never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today it is my pleasure to be here with Tess Gardiner who is the general manager of the Community Grocer. The Community Grocer is an organisation that provides weekly affordable fresh food markets to support healthy connected communities. Tess is a dietitian with interests in agriculture and farming, sustainable food systems and food justice. Tess has also spent time overseas on farms and contributing to food security and agricultural projects. To provide some context around our upcoming conversation, I'll briefly describe food insecurity. There are three key components of food insecurity. One is inadequate access to food, another is inadequate supply of food, and the third is the inappropriate use of food. You may be surprised to learn that in a wealthy country like Australia, food insecurity does exist. In a macroeconomic sense, Australia does not have a food security problem because it produces substantially more food than it consumes. 71% of our agricultural produce is exported. However, that does not mean that food within Australia is equitably distributed. And there are certain groups within the community that are more susceptible to food insecurity, including unemployed people, single-parent households, low-income earners and young people. In addition, Indigenous, culturally and linguistically diverse and socially isolated people may also experience food insecurity at a higher rate. I have seen various statistics about the level of food insecurity in Australia. And the one I will mention is that according to the community grocer, 41% of Victorians now experience food insecurity. I was shocked when I read this statistic and hopefully Tess will be able to shed some more light on this and what the community grocer is doing to help alleviate this problem. I first heard about the community grocer when I attended the virtual Nutrition Society of Australia conference at the end of last year and I listened to a session about sustaining the food supply in a time of crisis where Russell Shields, who is the founder and CEO of the community grocer, spoke. I was really struck by his genuine enthusiasm and, of course, by what an excellent service a community grocer provides. Uh, Hi, Tess. Welcome to Vibrant Lives podcast. Tess, before we discuss the work of the community grocer, can you tell us about your personal path to becoming the general manager of the community grocer? So what's your background and how did you become involved
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm actually a dietitian by background, so I've always had a real interest in public health nutrition and food justice and sustainable food systems. And I first started with the community growth as a market manager um, Mm -hmm. a little over 18 months ago and then stepped into the role of general manager in February of last year, so 2020, just weeks before the pandemic hit. So it's been an absolute Baptism of fire. In the I first year. Bet. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So proud of what we've been able to do in that time as well.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. So we will um, we'll talk about that. I did read in your bio that you have on your website that you spent some time overseas on farms. So where did you spend that time and what did you do there?
1: Yeah, I wanted to get a much bigger understanding of what happens in the food system side of things because often it's got such a big impact on the choices people make further down down the line. Mm -hmm. And so I've done a bit of volunteer work in South America, in Peru and Bolivia, uh, more on food security projects. But I spent almost six months in Canada uh, sort of hopping between farms and getting an understanding of what goes on on small family scale farms and homesteads. So it's given me this incredible understanding of our food system that I wouldn't yeah. have got otherwise.
0: I think that's really amazing because um, so many of us are completely insulated from where our food actually comes from, aren't we? I mean, I've always just gone to the supermarket.
1: Definitely. We're so disconnected from our Yeah,
0: food. yeah, although my husband and I do grow veggies, so that's something at least. So if we come to the community grocer, the mission of it is to provide Weekly affordable fresh food markets to support healthy, connected communities. And there's a lot to unpack in that mission statement, including the affordability of food, equity of access to fresh food, the quality of food, the link between what we eat and our health and connection and community. I think a good place to start would be to talk about food insecurity. And I gave a brief overview of what that is in my introduction. But I understand, Tess, that there are two types of food insecurity. So what are those?
1: There are two different types of food insecurity. So food security in Australia really is like a symptom of um, not just a broken food system, but an unjust one as well. And mm-hmm. and I think that that almost frames the two different types. So there's food insecurity with hunger and food insecurity without hunger. So food insecurity with hunger, meaning that people experience periods that go without food. So actually skipping meals or um, ha- having smaller mo- meals where they're left hungry. But there's also food insecurity without hunger, which is a much bigger issue in itself mm-hmm. as well. So this is where people not aren't, aren't necessarily going without food. They're not left hungry, but it means that they're making choices that leave them either making uh, choices where they're having to choose often higher energy, like high yeah. energy density foods and lower nutrient density foods so that they're not going without food and not going hungry.
0: Yeah, um, so they're making a choice based on, I guess, the amount of money they have available to spend on food and so they're making compromises in other words.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that can come into... Financial resources, like with yeah. money, but also if there aren't other resources available, um, like refrigeration or storage, yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, what other also, factors that can contribute.
1: Yeah,
0: where you live, I guess, is another one because there are places yep. called in quotes food deserts" that um, yep. where it's harder to access healthy, fresh foods. Yeah, there's Absolutely. lots of. It, it's a. It's actually a very complex social issue, isn't it? The statistics that I read on the website. Are that 4% of the t- population in Victoria is food insecure with hunger and 37% is food insecure without hunger. And I was just interested if those statistics take COVID into account.
1: So these numbers are quite old. I think the last time that we've got large population scale data like that for Victoria was I think, 2014. Right. Um, but even then, so 37% is 1.7 million Victorians. But those numbers are huge and we just It's massive. Of, yeah, we just don't think of food insecurity as being such a prevalent issue. And that's because I think we do often think of food insecurity as food insecurity with hunger. Yeah. Um so there's not that much information available after COVID, but Vic Health did do a survey of Victorians, and their results were really frightening. Um, and they were particularly single parent families and those on low incomes have absolutely been the hardest hit. Um, and their survey results were showing that half of families earning less than forty thousand a year, and about forty percent of single parent families, were choosing those cheap and unhealthy foods Mm. due to a shortage of money. Uh, But even more staggeringly, a quarter of single-parent families and one in 10 on low incomes actually ran out of food and couldn't afford to buy more. So those numbers were just, yeah, really horrific and we were seeing that in so many different ways as well. And I think at at the same time, we had all of these people experiencing food insecurity for the very first
0: time. Yeah.
1: But at the same time, there was also a lot of people that were for the first time receiving the financial and and other types of support that they've needed and actually have had income descent on food that they haven't had before. So it's really interesting to see, yeah, a lot of those much larger social issues um, and economic issues that were, have been at play throughout the pandemic.
0: I think Covid's really highlighted those issues for people. Um, I was personally surprised when I read, those statistics, and and as you say, they're old, so it's um, highly likely that they're even... Um, Increased. Yeah. So COVID happened soon after you took up your role as general manager, and mm-hmm. I know that uh, you, along with many other businesses or organisations, had to just pivot and devise alternate strategies. So can you talk us through some of the things that the community grocer did during COVID.
1: Yeah. And one of the saddest things was that for us, community is huge and having an inclusive um, marketplace is so important for us. So even doing things to make um, our markets safe for a lot of our customers being vulnerable, making sure that they felt okay to come to the markets where in supermarkets, they didn't feel like they could go Mm. outside at all. That was a really big one that we had to kind of find this middle point between keeping our markets safe and also trying to maintain that sense of community. So um, like a lot of other businesses just had to implement some COVID-safe practices. But a lot for us was uh, other organisations um, and sort of a lot of our resources that we had were no longer available, um, community centres being shut down.
0: Yeah.
1: A lot of food relief agencies as well were not able to be uh, to continue losing volunteers so we really had to shift a lot of our operations as well to make sure that we were staying open because of all the times it was so important with those numbers to stay open and we that fear of people leaving their houses was huge so we started doing a lot more box delivery so people Mm. wanted a contactless option which I think is uh, yeah that's a difficult um, compromise for us because we believe so much in giving people that dignity of choice so then it's yeah. us having to do <laughs> pre-made boxes but for that a lot of people their safety was at the forefront of their mind so we shifted a lot of our operations to then being able to cater to preparing boxes for people to either pick up from the market or other little hubs around the community as mm.
0: well. Yeah I, I mean I think in a period like COVID in a pandemic you just have to be nimble and you know, maybe uh-huh. you're not delivering the service that you had originally envisaged, but you're still delivering a very valuable service.
1: Yeah, and we're so lucky in being a social enterprise. So we are a not for profit, but we're also a social enterprise that we did actually have some of those resources. We weren't relying on donations. And although we didn't have volunteers, we could shift and use our staff members to then start the market. Uh, and so that was a real asset for us being set up, whereas a lot of other organisations just didn't have those resources yeah, available. Yeah,
0: yeah. So let's talk about uh, in non-COVID times <laughs> what, <Yeah>. the, <laughs> what the community grocer does and how it looks. So how did it start, Tess? Russell
1: Shields, who's our founder and current CEO, and, and Dori Ellington, they had this initial idea for a market back in 2014 uh, based on a couple of different models Um interstate and overseas as well but basically their aim was to increase access to a fresh high quality affordable produce and to create really a community-led and sustainable fresh food access model that was all about dignity choice and nutrition and really move beyond the typical welfare style of handing Mm -hmm. out free food Um, and I think Russ had with his experience, had seen quite a few of the challenges and limitations from the emergency food relief and sort of food rescue sector and wanted to provide us an alternative that was sustainable and not based around handouts. Yeah. So it started as a little pilot in Collingwood and then uh, shortly a new market opened in Carlton that's still open today. And we've just sort of been growing and adapting since then Um, and Refining our operations.
0: <laughs> Excellent. So, what does the market look like? Uh, what kind of produce do you have, and where do you source it, and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah. So, our, our markets are open for a four-hour period once a week, and our aim is effectively to sell out our produce. So, we get our produce delivered the morning of the market, all super fresh, straight from a wholesaler. So, it's not donated; it's first-rate quality produce. It's almost a mini farmer's market style shop Mm -hmm. shop front. Uh, So we have little markets in um, near community centres, often outdoors as well, so fresh air. And before COVID, we'd have cane baskets with all the produce in it and hessian, um, really to make it the most inviting uh, place that we could have. Basically, customers can come and shop for whatever they want and and they can kind of Particularly towards the start of the day, for up to sort of 70 lines of different fruit and veg wow. and eggs. So, we have a huge variety as well and are really responsive to what our community members want and can order in specific things for mm-hmm. them. Um, and we use a community markup model. So, being a not-for-profit, we're impact-driven, not for profit, we're impact driven, not profit driven. So, we really just mark up our produce. Um, enough to cover some of the costs of operating. Yes. Uh, so that we can, our produce can be sort of, we, we get numbers each year between 40 to 60% cheaper than outlets within a kilometre.
0: That's absolutely great, isn't it? Can anyone come to the market, even someone who doesn't necessarily need the discount?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's where so everyone is welcome at our market. There's no requirement to have a healthcare card or um, prove any, any need yeah. at all. And so it's everyone's welcome. And that means that there's that dignity in that shopping experience that it's open to everyone. Um, and for us, every dollar spent at our market allows us to increase our impact. So we want as many customers as yeah, possible fantastic. and to make it feel like the most inclusive um, shopping experience there is.
0: Oh, it sounds amazing. I'd love to visit one one day. You did touch on um, if people request uh, special products or something that you can order in for them, um, and they might be for cultural reasons, for a special dish, for example. So what kind of things come to mind for you that have have been specially ordered?
1: I think one of the ones that basically every volunteer that comes through will always say, what is this? To okra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a cute one. And I think that one that is, um, I think, at every market that we've got, um, that we've got sweet potato and often turmeric in, in its not powdered form. I saw it in the oh, root form. like and a root
0: form. Looks a bit like yeah, ginger, doesn't it?
1: Like ginger, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, yeah. And a lot of um, Asian greens. We found that actually, the, we really needed to stock quite a few more of them throughout COVID. But Basically, for everyone, and, and I think we got a lot more requests during COVID as well because of that comfort of familiar food. Yes. So we had requests even for pomegranates and um, lemongrass, and yeah, it, it's one of those really lovely things where um, people can't find that produce for kilometres. Uh, they really have to go out of their way. So, for that, when people here in Victoria were limited to five kilometres within their house. Mm. It was this really special thing that we could provide that little sense of comfort for those already going through a pretty tough time.
0: Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Have you personally learnt about any new ingredients or recipes in your time at the Community Grocer?
1: Yeah, it's honestly constant. One of the lovely things about being the market manager is it's effectively your job (laughs) to get to know customers (laughs) and and new recipes. So um, even things like learning how to make bitter melon not Insufferably bitter. <laughs> It'd be so interesting, um, and it's uh, and connecting over food is just such a joy. So even things that are familiar, there's always new ways to to learn how to cook them. So yes, it's one of the biggest joys there is at the market.
0: And the thing is that everybody eats, so it's it's a very mm. inclusive way to have a conversation, isn't it? To talk about what you're preparing for dinner or your favourite dish, that kind of thing.
1: Absolutely.
0: So. Now, currently, I believe you hold weekly markets. I'm not sure if it's four or five locations. How did you select those locations?
1: Yeah. So we've got the four markets running at the moment, Carlton, Fitzroy, Hutterberg West and Mm Pakenham, We hope to reopen Fortnite very shortly. Um, So what we've learned over the years is that it's really important to do this quite vigorous feasibility study process. So... We don't go and find locations. We, what's so important is that communities really have this sense of ownership over the market So, in order for them to do well and have the impact that we're hoping that they'll have. So often it's councils or community groups that will come and approach us. Right. And then part of that feasibility process is making sure that we don't want to just go into a new community just because um, people are telling us if there's the need because often there will be actually other outlets Uh, For those markets that we've had and and have closed, often there are actually outlets nearby that are affordable. So it's kind of this balance between making sure there's, uh, of selecting these locations that there really is, is that food desert where or, or where there's not high quality and affordable produce around. So we want to make sure that there's good access, good public transport, and for people with mobility issues that they're able to access those locations. But it's a huge part of community partnership and knowing that um, people will be able to find us and engage with us in a way mm. that empowers them and isn't just a, something that happens to be yeah. operating so there once
0: a week. <laughs> it's a consultative process then, I'm hearing, yeah. the community, the council, you. The way I, I understand the market's work is that you have some volunteers who who work there. So I think that probably I'm imagining the success of the markets is very much due to the work of the volunteers. How can people become involved as a volunteer if they live in Victoria?
1: Yeah, we love our volunteers and absolutely it's such a huge part of what we do is, is be volunteer run and, and that's how we're able to keep our prices so affordable yeah. using a volunteer-led model. Um. So absolutely, so we have volunteers that come in many different ways uh, but mostly, it effectively is market assistance. So they'll help us pack up and um, set up the market, work at the registers, and sell the produce. But a huge part of it is also just talking and, and creating that sense of community. Yeah. Um, and almost coaxing those recipes and <laughs> um, <laughs> ideas out of customers and we do have volunteers involved with bike deliveries sometimes um, or car deliveries of to our little hubs as well. So if anyone is around any of those locations, we'd love to have you there and, and we're so grateful to have, to have volunteers that just believe so much in what it is that we do
0: yeah I imagine the volunteers get a lot of satisfaction from being involved in a community plus doing something that's having a real impact on people's lives speaking of impacts I think that yeah (laughs) everyone at the community grocer can be immensely proud of what you've achieved so can you tell us about some of the results that you've seen at the community grocer
1: yeah, so we're so lucky that we've got an amazing partnership with Monash University, so we are really evidence-driven in when it comes to measuring and understanding and communicating our impact. So we do a yearly social impact evaluation. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that all of our markets are actually having an impact. It's not just to make ourselves feel good on the day. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so sure. We so we'll get... Every year, we're getting those sort of around four in five of our customers feel like they're increasing the amount of fruit and vegetables that they're able to eat each week, um, and we get overwhelmingly good results in in terms of how people find the quality of our produce.
0: Excellent. It's,
1: we get that echoed every single market that um, that that often our produce is better than they can get anywhere else, and I can't believe it's lasting in the fridge for this long compared to the supermarket. <laughs> And we also get sort of yet 90 plus percent every single year about customers feeling more connected to their community as well. So we also want to make sure that we've got that um, price affordability as well and that's something that is pretty consistent year to year. But we're always adapting to make sure that that's that's what's actually happening Mm. on the ground too.
0: Oh, that's great. And it's good that you're getting – you know, data led results with your work with Monash University. One thing you mentioned just then was people were eating more fruits and vegetables, um, Mm. partly because it's more, more accessible. So one thing we do know about food insecurity is that food insecure households generally consume lower levels of fruits and vegetables, which puts them at increased risk for diet-related diseases, and also things like obesity and physical and mental health issues. So as we were saying before, it is a very complex social issue. It involves equity, dignity, and justice. Apart from the health issues, because I do talk a lot on this podcast about the connection between what we eat and the impacts on our health, I think it would be really interesting to discuss more the connection between food and community because that's obviously, that's part of your mission. So what is it, do you think, about the market setting that encourages a sense of community?
1: Yeah, I think a part of it comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning about not um, having that connection to food, that in these big supermarkets, everything seems so... (laughs) Um, almost sterile and you don't have that sense of community and there's not that opportunity to talk to other people. And also that food is a common denominator between all of us and you can always connect with other people over food. I think a lot of people, particularly me and most of our staff and volunteers, get really excited about food as well. So it's just such an accessible point and way to connect with others.
0: Yeah, I can really understand that because when you're in the supermarket. It's, it's actually quite rare to speak to someone else, but when you're standing around, well, my experience has been more a farmer's market. You might be standing mm. next to someone at a stall and you'll discuss, you know, a certain vegetable or what you might do with it or talk to the stall owners. How do I cook this? And mm. so that conversation gets started
1: Yeah, and I think it's this nice almost comparison is that it's such an important thing when you're going to a farmer's market and it's that link to to food and the food system and your farmer, like that's one conversation, but it's almost with our markets, we don't, the focus instead is on the community and the community members um, and having local volunteers and local customers and everyone being so close um, that often people are walking to our markets that it really is this, that super hyper-local um, yes. thing and any and, and it just lends itself so well to people connecting. I feel, feel like we saw that so much during COVID as well that for many people this was their only outing throughout the week was going shopping and so although we did lose a bit of that community connection mm. that we normally have, you know, we can't smile with masks, <laughs> well, you can, but you can't yeah. see quite as like, we still just, that sense of community was absolutely still there and um it was so lovely to be able to provide that.
0: I read on your website that I think 73% of customers live within a kilometre of the market and 64% walk to and from. So that's that's also excellent, you know, getting people out Mm -hmm. and about and, as you said earlier, into the fresh air. Tess, apart from volunteering, for people that can't volunteer for various reasons, they might not live in Victoria, what are some of the other ways people can support the community grocer?
1: Yeah. So for those that are within Victoria, we're always accepting volunteers um, or those that can provide some professional support as well through volunteering their time. And a big one, if you are within Victoria, is just to shop with us. As we mentioned that everyone's welcome and every dollar that's spent at our market supports what we do and allows us to continue our impact. Um, But if it neither of those options are available. Um, we t- we're always accepting donations to continue the work that we're doing, exploring to new locations. Um, but even if you don't have the money or the resources available, just to share and support our work and our message yeah. all makes a huge difference as well.
0: I saw also that you have a current um, crowdfunding project going on. Is that right for some e-cargo bikes?
1: We're always crowdfunding, um, but that project probably isn't the most current one. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. We might change that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. We oh. do have
1: some um, bikes. So we're, we're we're just about to purchase a bike actually. So oh, we're, brilliant. We're nearly oh, there. <laughs>
0: so that's for deliveries, I take it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: And are there any plans to expand into other locations in Victoria or even interstate?
1: Yeah, I think our focus for the next few years will be in Victoria. We're sure. always looking for new locations. Um, and scouting out some all the time and making and always being very receptive to anyone that does start to approach us. Um, but I think after 2020, it, it's getting out of that survival mode and getting into the drive yeah. mode, and getting that sense of community back and feeling like we're um, back to what we were before and hopefully with um, even more impact than, than ever before.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. You need to sort of get back to where you were before, which hopefully will happen yes. soon. And Tess, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners about the Community Grocer?
1: Yeah, I guess another really exciting thing that's happening at the moment is we've got some funding from um community the- Victorian government from Moving Space, which is a collection of social enterprises within Victoria doing food security work and in the the food system space, um, as well as the City of Melbourne, that we're releasing a new program called Growth a Gift. So what we've really been seeing throughout the pandemic was that um, there's a lot of inherent challenges within the emergency food relief sector, and a lot of people... um, Aren't able to have that dignity of choice when it comes to food relief. So we are developing this voucher program, where instead of getting food hampers or relying on um, vouchers for the supermarket, mm-hmm. customers can get vouchers that will come at, that can be redeemed at our market. So they're getting better value for their produce um, and have that choice and an alternative way, and then that stepping stone. Once they're no longer requiring food relief, to then be accessing, accessing produce at more affordable prices in the market setting. So that's a really exciting um, thing coming up in a bit of a um, expansion for us on, on yeah. our current operations, which is really exciting as well.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. It, it, you really are doing a lot in the equity and justice space, aren't you? Um,
1: yeah, I think there's. I think when when you're on the ground and just engaging so closely with the people that you're existing to serve, it becomes a a much bigger question, a much bigger motivation, um, not just on it being having an equitable service, but also to changing the conversation around um, the way that we approach food relief and food security uh, in Victoria and and the country as well. So we're really excited to be continuing our role in that space moving forward too.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. It just sounds like there's there's such a need there and uh, you're stepping into that space. So that's, it's you know, wonderful. Tess, to wrap up, who or what inspires you?
1: Oh gosh, I really could not narrow it down to <laughs> one thing or, or person, but I'm honestly just constantly inspired by so many people working on the ground in, in the food system, food security space that just allow us all to keep going no matter how tough things are. Like with COVID, there's so many challenges um, presented by that, but I'm so grateful to be surrounded all the time by people that um, push us forward and help yeah. us keep going and picking up the slack when we feel like we can't do it ourselves.
0: I guess one thing COVID's um, demonstrated to you is that you actually can get through a really difficult time. So if something like this happens again, and let's hope it doesn't, but if it does... Mm. You'll have a bit of background there and some experience. <laughs> so when difficult things happen, you think, okay, we've dealt with this before, we can do it again. Yeah, um, absolutely. And Tess, the final question I like to ask all of my guests is if you could recommend two things, they can be anything at all, that people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be?
1: Well, I'll keep it, I'll keep it growth related. <laughs> so my two things would be to eat your fruit and veg in ways that bring you joy and comfort. Um, And also the second would be to just use food to connect with others.
0: Yeah, it is. It's such an important part of food, isn't it? To share it Mm -hmm. with others. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a family, my parents and my auntie over for dinner last night and I was quite busy during the day and I thought, oh gosh, I'm so busy and I have to cook for all these people. And then it was such a lovely night. It's always mm-hmm. worth it. <laughs> so.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so if people want to follow the Community Grocer or connect with the Community Grocer, what are the best ways for them to do that?
1: Yeah, so we're the communitygrocer.com.au where you can find all of our market locations, <laughs> some of our latest news, and a bit more of our backstory and who we are. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Community Grocer. And if you wanted to get in contact with us at all, um, hello at the communitygrocer.com.au is the best way for that. Or there's a contact form on our website as
0: well. Excellent. So I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Uh, Tess, thank you so much for sharing all that wonderful information about the Community Grocer with us. And thank you for sparing your time for us.
1: No, thank you so much and allowing us to get the word about what we do um, out there to a few more people.
0: And that was Tess Gardner, General Manager of the Community Grocer, sharing with us how that social enterprise works and the positive impacts the markets are having in its participant communities. Thank you very much for listening today. I do hope you found today's podcast interesting or inspiring. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast. If you would like to subscribe to Vibrant Lives Podcast, you can subscribe on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio and Google Podcasts, to name a few. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Please follow me on Instagram at vibrant_lives_podcast and DM me if there are any topics you'd like to learn about or someone you'd like me to interview. And I will do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love and it really has become my job. It's what I do. If you enjoy my podcast and would like to support it, I would be so grateful. There are several ways you can do that. You can visit my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com and there's a donate page where you can make a contribution via PayPal or you can simply purchase a book from the book reviews page on my website. I'm an Amazon affiliate, so if you buy a book, I will receive a small commission. And I would thank you very much if you do decide to do that. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Eat well, move well, think well.